0: Hear the word of God from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them with their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So the man got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to him, I ask you, sorry, to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man did so. And his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church.
1: How are you doing today? You guys look beautiful on this wonderful day, the Lord's Day. Now, the Lord's Day was a day—the term that I heard growing up when I went to church. The church that I used to go to called Sunday, the Lord's Day. And I kind of had a problem with that because isn't every day the Lord's Day, right? And most of you guys are like, yeah, that's right. You tell them one. No, no. <laughs> no, but in serious, I always had trouble with the if day. If, if he's king, then every day should be the Lord's Day. But I do want to say that there is something special about setting apart a day into the rhythm of our lives that was set apart, not by man, but by God. There's something special about celebrating a day consecrated to the Lord, called the Sabbath. Now, my sermon today is not, sometimes I have more jokes and funny stories. Today, I don't have that. So I'm gonna start off with a terrible joke. The only joke that I was able to find on the internet about Sabbath. You guys ready? It's not good, just wording ahead at time. Why doesn't the dragon practice Sabbath? Because he only prays on weak nights. <laughs> oh, wow. You're welcome, You're welcome. For those of you who don't get it, knights, nights, no, no. Just in case, just in case you didn't get it. <laughs> Week knights, night, okay. As you can tell, today we're talking about the Sabbath. And we're continuing our series in the book of Luke. And last week we saw Jesus turn religion as they knew it upside down by the calling of Levi. Jesus really messed with the minds of the Pharisees by dining with known sinners and messed with their ideas of what righteousness is. He goes even further in our scripture this morning. At the end of this text, the Pharisees don't know what to do about Jesus. As blasphemous as it may sound, I confess this morning, I kind of know how they feel. I mean, in these stories this morning about the kernel of grain and the healing, the shriveled hand on, on this day, I, I, they seem at first like a classic story of healing and, you know, Jesus doing what it was kind of not supposed to do. But I kind of struggle with this. Like, I look at this and I'm like, well, Jesus, what's the deal, man? Couldn't you prepare like everybody else? Prepare food ahead of time, pack it up. That's what everybody else had to do. Why did you have to make a stink about this? Or shriveling the guy with the shriveled hand. Couldn't you heal him the next day? Like, why is this an issue for you, Jesus? Couldn't you have just done the easier thing? Right? And I thought about this. And then I thought, well, there must then be a reason. There must then be a reason why God, Jesus didn't prepare, didn't pack a meal for the next day, and why he instead chose to heal and restore this hand on Sabbath. And ultimately, the reason I concluded is that the Sabbath is worth it. The Sabbath is worth knowing. The Sabbath is important. You guys with me so far? You see, I'm saying he could have avoided all this controversy by storing something up small, by healing the next day, but he didn't. He wanted to reclaim the true importance and the meaning of the Sabbath and go even further to say to all the people from then forever, He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, truly get all this into mind and truly understand the Sabbath as it's supposed to be understood. Let's get into the minds of somebody from the ancient Near East, specifically into the mind of an Israelite. And this is what they would think of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was the happiest and most blessed day of the week in Israel. Right? That's what I, I wanted to give credit to the person who said that, but it was from one of my textbooks from seminary. So I just didn't know who to give credit to, but I was just going to post it up there. Because, like, the author of the textbook had, like, five authors. I didn't want to write all their names down. The Sabbath day was the happiest and most blessed day of the week in Israel. Think about this. For six days, the people lived under the most demanding circumstances farming, carpenters, fishermen, poor laborers, toiling from sun up to sundown just so they didn't have enough to eat. I think this is a hard concept for some of us. A lot of us do work, but we need to go in kind of a different area, of the agrarian culture back in the day where by far, most all the population lived almost from meal to meal, day to day, with just enough food to get by. They, they labored, they strained. No pensions, no early retirement, no healthcare programs. Childhood quickly disappeared. Sons and daughters were working like, almost immediately alongside their parents and grandparents just so they could survive. Illness was abundant and the average lifespan was 40 years old. People lived hard lives, toil, and that was the result of the curse. But God made gracious provision for Israel. After six days of laboring came the Sabbath. Men, women, children, even animals probably looked forward to each, each week to the Sabbath. There's no toil in the fields, no work in the land. It was, it was a day of rest from laboring. Could you imagine, all the kids pile, probably like, yay, it's Sabbath tomorrow, our holy day, our holiday from the daily grind. How how much they would have anticipated each week that Sabbath day, holy rest. And on that day, the Sabbath, the godly parents in Israel would rehearse the Lord's dealing. They would remind them of the Lord's goodness in the family. They'd tell the children of the wonderful works of God. They would look at the Ebenezer's that they would raise and see, look what God has done, children. There'd be worship. The nation's past would be remembered There'd be a special meal. There'd be an assembly of gathering to to worship God. There'd be sweet, physical rest. There'd be a time of celebrating as a family. Keeping the Sabbath day was incorporated into the Ten Commandments. It was was made law, overall law, law for all the people, so that if you were an evil landlord, if you were an evil dictator ruler, you can't overcome God's law. It was written into God's law. He was so intentional about this. Sabbath was also a parameter of the the spiritual life of the nation. When the people were awakened, the Lord became very real to them. They treasured communion with him. They would cry this psalm from 84, Psalm 84, 1 and 2. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. To know God's presence and blessing on their lives was of more value to them than all the cattle, all the goods, all the money, all the produce of the fields. And at such times, the period of Sabbath was considered a blessed day, but when they drifted away from the Lord, when they worshiped other gods, the Sabbath was neglected. It 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 would show when they were falling away from God, they stopped caring about the Sabbath. We see this fleshed out in Nehemiah and other places throughout the prophets. Then around Jesus' time, The Pharisees had become the appointed keepers of Jewish identity for hundreds of years. And under Roman domination, they increasingly made the Sabbath a distinctive nationalistic characteristic, a national characteristic. They said to themselves, we don't have a king. We've even lost our language. Hebrew was replaced at that time by Aramaic. We've lost our prophets. There hadn't been a prophet speaking for over 400 years. If we lose the Sabbath, then nothing will distinguish us from the Gentile nations that surround us. So what did the Pharisees do? They hedged their bets. They surrounded the Sabbath with 49 rules and regulations, measuring time and prescribing this and forbidding that and warning against this. They were creating a system that, to know that the, the that, that this Sabbath is still important. It's just so important. They made it so that what can't you do on Sabbath? What is forbidden? Is this allowed? They made it so that they can now make sure that we know we can at least keep this. We can hold on to this in the midst of losing their land, losing their king, losing so much. But the Sabbath was losing its God-centeredness and was becoming a mark of national and cultural identity. This was a situation that Jesus came into. To this place Jesus came and he redeemed what the Sabbath truly was and what it was meant to be. So then the question is, what was the Sabbath meant to be? Leviticus 23.3, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Genesis 2.1-3 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. So I want to draw a few quick points on what the Sabbath is. Number one, the Sabbath principle is for all people at all times. The Sabbath principle is a creation principle God ordained for man since creation. The point is that this isn't a Jewish ritual, but it was ordained by God for all mankind, Jew and Gentile, like because it's instituted before there was even such a thing as a Jewish person. It happened before Father Abraham. God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh, making it a day of rest. He did not need to create in six days, mind you. You hear me very well. God wasn't like, after the first day, whew, I'm tired. God wasn't like six days into it and be like, I really need this. I need a vacation bad. This was the intentional rhythm that in his goodness, he wanted to provide for us. It wasn't a split second, oh, I need some rest now. It was the creation ordinance. He wanted us to, us to show what rest is really what rest really is. And he wanted us to build that into our routine, into our rhythm of life. And we'll go further into what rest really is. Number two, the Sabbath is to the Lord. If you notice at the end of Leviticus 23.3, it says, Sabbath, it is, a, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's not a Sabbath to you. It's not a Sabbath to your family. It's not a Sabbath to whatever you want it to be. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, the whole movement of the day is God-centered. So this emphasis on resting is not to be understood as being a day to be lazy. It's not a slacker who's like, sweet, thank you, God. You know, a day to just do nothing, I love it. It's not meant to be that. You're not necessarily going to be idle and lazy on this day. It's not a day you're just ceasing from work. Rather, it's a day for you to know and love God more. It's a day of special emphasis. It's a day to consider the blessings of rest and work that we receive weekly. It's a day to consider the joy and hope of eternal rest. Here's what I mean by this. Okay, guys, here's our mistake. When we think of rest, we think of naps. We think of siesta, am I right? We think of like not having to like, oh, this, this is rest day, let me get on my couch, and, let me, and don't get me wrong, those are good things to do for rest. I like getting on my couch and watching PGA golf. I'm a big fan of that, major championships, on my couch falling asleep because I can't last more than a second of watching it. It is wonderful. But can I tell you what rest really is? Rest for me is when I don't have to worry about everything. Does that make sense? What rests for me isn't taking a nap. What rests for me is the stress and pressures of life and of providing and working in this culture and this society of being a, uh, uh, having to be a great father and husband and teacher and pastor. Guys, sometimes those things are exhausting, isn't it? Don't you have so much pressure that you put on yourselves to be the perfect daughter or the perfect son? To, the pressure to be a great student, an incredible employee, uh, a great manager. There's so much pressure that we put on ourselves all the time and can I tell you for rest, what the rest is is when we can say give it up where we can just let it go and just be. Guys, can I tell you when God gives you rest, he says acknowledge that I am God, I am king, I am in control, you can give it to me. Do you hear me? Rest is saying, guys, you don't have to spend your, your, spend your whole life trying so hard to run this in this hamster wheel that you're getting nowhere, but instead trust that I know you, that I love you, and I have something great in store for you. What rest is, is you can say, look at the birds in the sky, look at the flowers in the field. God knows me and loves me more than that. He'll give me a place to lay my head, and he'll give me clothes to wear. Do you understand Rest. The Sabbath is to the Lord. It's a day that we come and we say, God, this day, I know every day is yours, but specifically this day, I want to make sure I always sincerely, deeply remember that it is yours, that it's all yours. Sometimes it's hard when I go to work all day and, and I have to farm and milk cows. Or sometimes when you, when you go to work all day and you have, to, you have to cook or you have to clean or you have to, you have to work in finances. or You have to help sick people. It's hard to remember. But God, this day you set it apart. I can just rest and remember you're in control. Thank you for rest. It's to the Lord. Number three, the Sabbath it's for sacred assembly. It says right here at the end of Leviticus 3, it's a day of sacred assembly. In other words, on this day, the people of God were to gather together for the purpose of worshiping him. It was not an individualistic Sabbath. It was a corporate Sabbath. This is day the ones who feel ostracized, alone, and separate could come together with the people of God. You amplify God's praise by congregating together and singing together, hearing testimonies of what God has been doing in your midst. The Sabbath was a day for gathering and joining your voices with others. It was a day of corporate worship and holy assembly. I want you to consider some of these words from David in the book of Psalms. First one says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 49 through 10 says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Guys, I can refer to a million other verses illustrating this point. I'm stressing this fact because from the very right beginning, the Sabbath was a day to join in and share in the lives of, the, of others to the Lord. If Old Testament believers needed this, then surely we who are elect exiles in a strange land need to come together in corporate holy, sacred assembly. Our people, please hear this. We need to understand the importance of assembly. Now hear me very well. I'm not preaching a works-based gospel, or presenting a legalistic look at the Sabbath. I'm not preaching this idea that you better come to worship on Sunday morning. I'm keeping track of your attendance, and if you don't come, then you're a heathen. No, not saying that. Please hear me very well, I've never said that. I am saying this, God in his goodness made Christian spirituality, Christian maturity and growth a group project. He called us to do this together. He called us to come as a body together. There's something beautiful about sacred assembly. Guys, sometimes it's not the most comfortable, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's not the easiest thing. Sometimes you'd rather be in your PJs, in your house, and be like, this is rest, Lawrence. I'm just saying, you said rest, this is rest. PJs, couch, comfortable. And sometimes you need to do that. I'm not saying never do that. I am saying God called us together. He's called us to make this day sacred to him. And he's made it intentionally all throughout scripture that the gathering together intentionally as a practice and as a discipline was made for our growth in him. Do you guys know this? That you guys edify each other. That you guys grow each other. And you guys can serve each other, love each other. And there's something so powerful that God inhabits the praise of his people. And our prayers are like sweet incense to him. I don't know why God made it the way he did. But he loves our corporate gathering because his local church of us gathered and serving together is his plan of advancing the kingdom in this world. Take it, amen. I like amens. But also, can I say this? I know some of you may be hearing this, and some of you maybe have been hurt or traumatized by churches in the past. Some of you might be hearing this and be like, Lawrence, I hate churches. I've heard a lot of people say that. I don't mind your Jesus, but I hate your churches. I hate your Christians. I've heard people say that all the time. And I get it. And if I could say anything for those who have been hurt by churches, from the bottom of my heart, I pray and I wish that that never would have happened to you. I'm sorry that it did. But I want you to know that Jesus can heal, that Jesus can redeem. And maybe he has you here listening to this for that exact reason. I spoke earlier how Jesus is Healing and redeeming the idea of broken Sabbath. He can also heal and redeem your idea of what church and sacred assembly and the gathering is. If you let him. Please let Jesus heal and redeem your understanding of the need to be in worship and community together. Number four, Sabbath is for wherever you live. Verse in Leviticus 23 approaches this close with the phrase, wherever you live. This was to be observed wherever God's people lived in every household. The people were to remember the Lord and focus on Him, their creator, their provider, their redeemer, their judge. And the idea was this they were to stick out in their culture and look very different. Wait, 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 wait. Those people don't work one day of the week and they're devoted to God? What, what, if, what if they lose money? What if, what if they're going to get behind on their crops? Don't they have a million chores? How do they make it? Do they have enough to eat? What, what's going to happen? And they're supposed to, why would they do that? Who is this God that they do this for? God, from the very beginning, has people intentionally stick out of culture through the Sabbath so they can tell everyone about the Creator who rested and the Messiah coming who gives final and true rest. Do you hear that? The Sabbath has been and always has been for wherever you live and there's a reason for it. You're supposed to stick out of your culture and of your area by the means in which you practice even the Sabbath. You're supposed to be like, ooh, you look weird. You're different, you're not, wait, wait, your rest is that you're confident in God that even when it seems like you don't have enough money, you think he'll provide? Weirdo. You're not storing up huge amounts of savings and accumulating wealth and hoarding because you think God will provide for you. You're willing to take risks because God's going to provide. Dude, you're weird. You're confident in the midst of fear and anxiety. And please hear me very well. I am not saying just by practicing Sabbath you will no longer have fear and anxiety. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he is the answer to your fear and anxiety. And while on this earth, every time you practice Sabbath, you're saying, God, I choose to choose to believe in you over my fear and anxiety. I still have my fear and anxiety, but one day I know that I no longer will. When I enter your true and final rest, no longer will I battle fear and anxiety. But even now, when I choose to Sabbath with you, I acknowledge that one day it will all be made right. Does that make sense? So know what we know about the Sabbath, let's see what Jesus considers worth it. Let's see what Jesus thinks about the Sabbath. There's three things I want to point out. Number one, the Sabbath is for life and good. The Pharisees wanted to hold onto the Sabbath for cultural and personal reasons. It made them feel special and made up a system where most people couldn't attain or succeed at what they were putting out there. The average Israelite had no chance. The average Jewish person had no chance doing what the the Pharisees, who were of the elite society, elite class, could do. They wanted to be set apart as righteous. They wanted to look down on others so they could know that they, they were confident in what they had. They made the Sabbath into something for personal gain. But God made the Sabbath for life and the good of his people. It was never a rule or a law to oppress. It was a gift. It was a freedom to enjoy. And Jesus is reestablishing this idea by feeding the hungry, by healing the sick. Jesus was stating that the Sabbath was meant for life and good. It was meant to show that provision happens when you trust in God. That real rest is trusting in God for your healing and for your physical needs. Sabbath was meant for life and for good. Two, Jesus was showing what the Father values and what the Father does. By doing the same mighty works his Father continued to do on the Sabbath, Jesus went far beyond this idea of just doing good and saving life on the Sabbath. He he took the argument to a different level. Jesus saw like this, that this was the God's day, this is the Lord's day, and Jesus was simply doing what God did on this day because he was God the Son. For example, There was a Sabbath when Jesus had gone to the pool of Bethesda. This is recorded in John chapter 5. And he came across a man who had been invalid for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. And the Jews immediately accused him of breaking the Sabbath, but these are the words by which Jesus defended his actions. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this day, and I too am working. God resting on the Sabbath doesn't mean he stops working to bless us with mercies and forgiveness and love. He gives us on, on every Sabbath life and strength and healing, doesn't he? Every Sabbath we gather together with worship, don't we receive so much from him? Every Sabbath, every Sunday, there are babies that are born all throughout the world. There are people who are healed from illnesses all around the world. Sabbath is, it, God heals the sick on the Sabbath, and sometimes in a remarkable way, so Jesus did too. He says, my father is always at work up to this very day. I too am working. Jesus is going a step further. He's saying he's blatantly calling himself equal to God. Very truly, I tell you, the son of God, son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. What the Father does is Lord Jesus also does. think of the claim. It's a claim to the deity. These are the words of either a madman or the words of God. The Father and their son are equal in ability and accomplishment and glory. They're in perfect harmony. So the Son Jesus shows us to harden the will of the Father. He shows us that God is a God who heals and loves and cares. And so when the Sabbath was taken apart, the Sabbath was lifted, that's something that Sabbath set apart. God, Jesus redeems and says, Sabbath was for good because our God is for good. Guys, how many of you guys have this image sometimes of God being like this grouchy old man you know, who's watching you? And he's like, oh, if you're good, I'll give you a worthers, yeah. right? Come on, let's be real about this. Right? If you're good, I got some hard candy for you, but if you're bad, I'm going to come down and judgment upon you. That could be me because I have a wonderful grandfather, but that's kind of how I felt like sometimes. But how many of us feel that way? We have this image of God the judge, God the harsh, God the, I'll give you some good, but he's also some rough judgment I'm about to come at you with. Hey, Jesus is just showing you, no, 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 here's Sabbath. Here's God, the good, the loving, the gracious. He's what he's always been about. He's always been about healing. He's been all, so I'm just doing what he does. When you look at Jesus, you should see what God is like. Does that make sense? Three, Jesus established himself as Lord of the Sabbath. The proclamation Jesus makes in front of the ones who consider themselves the Lord of the Sabbath is huge. Think about it. The Pharisees consider themselves, they never said it, but they consider themselves the Lords of the Sabbath. They were the appointed guardians of the idea of the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, You guys think you know the Sabbath? You guys think you get it? You made up all these rules and regulations to really make sure you're doing it right? Mm -mm. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. At the beginning of Luke chapter 6, we're told that Jesus' and disciples were walking through cornfields and they're picking up, uh, picking up grain, and, not cornfields, grain, and they're picking up this stuff and I don't know what that is. I should have done some more research. I don't know what they're doing, what they're eating. If you're, I didn't do research on that. Sorry, guys. But if you're a farmer, if you know what they're eating, I don't know if it's good or not, but whatever. But the Pharisees are complaining to Jesus and saying, dude, what are you? They didn't say Dude. <laughs> This is the New Lawrence translation. (laughs) They did not say do to Jesus. They said, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus' reply is just, it's weird, but it's awesome. He refers to an incident in the life of David. And King Saul was hunting David and David's men and one day while they were wandering, David's hungry and his, his men are hungry. They come to this tabernacle and they're told they entered the house of God and they took the consecrated bread and they ate what was only lawful for priests to eat and he also gave it to his companions. It's what David did. Now Jesus quoted this incident to, to rationalize what his hungry disciples, hungry disciples were doing. But let's think about it. What is the connection between these two stories? The answer might be this, that David was the rightful king of Israel. Samuel anointed him when he was only a kid, and the prophet proclaimed him be, to be the king. David was a man after God's own heart who did God's will. He was in need, and food was there to meet that need. The problem David was facing was that the king Saul was on the throne, jealous and angry with David. He, was, he hated David's popularity. He was looking to kill him and take his life and supporters away. David survived by the food he was given by supporters. David had no land. He had no money. He was being provided for by the people who supported him. He was provided for by the priests. The food that was rightly theirs alone, they passed on to David and gave it to him, and he ate it. So what does this have to do with the disciples, uh, taking the wheat and eating it? When Jesus was born, the Magi brought him gold and bowed before this one. Isaiah called the prince of peace, the one born a king. Luke earlier even printed out Jesus' genealogy, showing that Jesus is the legal son of David. After his baptism, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be Israel's prophet, priest, and king. He's like David, waiting for the time when his kingship would be apparent to everyone. Jesus at this time had nowhere to lay his head. He was being hounded by the Pharisees everywhere he went. Those men with their accusations wanted to see him dead like Saul wanted to see David dead. So King Jesus and his men were making the same point as David and his men, that the law supports the righteous. It serves the lawgiver, especially when that lawgiver is a perfect lawkeeper. It was right for David to survive on the bread of the priests. How much more then could David's greater son and his men take from his own creation and eat on the Sabbath day? Guys, I want you to understand this, that this is the idea, what, what, this connection that Luke is making here, and what David, Jesus is intentionally speaking to. is that if it was right for the king, David, how much greater is this king, Jesus? How much greater is he? At the very end, Jesus said, I ask you, which is lawful and Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save life or to destroy it? My people, do you see what the Sabbath is? It's the Lord's. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the promised Messiah that was to come in the line of David, a greater king than even David, promising us a rest, a year of jubilee, a time where we can finally be truly given rest that we only could get a taste of by practicing the Sabbath weekly. Do you guys ever get tired of the rat race of life? Is that you? Do you ever sit back and be like, oh my gosh, I just got a million things to do on my to-do list. I did the laundry for the 50th time and there's gonna be another batch of laundry again. Why is my dishwasher always full? Why does work seem to be have no end? Why can't I get ahead at work? Why is my boss? Sometimes life just seems so much, doesn't it? My son is seven years old, just seven, and he already has a picture of this. Yesterday, he came up to me and he says, Appa, Appa means father, so dad, Appa. He goes, Appa, I don't like Mondays. I was like, well, why don't you like Mondays? He goes, "Can, can, can every day be like the weekend? And I was like, I feel you, kid. I think most everybody here feels you. He's like, I was like, what do you mean? You don't like going to school? "Eh, School's okay, but I don't want to have to go to school. He gets it already. He's seven, and he gets it already, right? I mean, how many of you guys, how many of us do this? How many of us live for the weekend, right? Everybody working for the weekend. It's tough. Do you know what the Sabbath teaches us and shows us? That one, we can have some rest now. We can have some rest now because we can rest knowing that our lives, our hearts, our identity is not bound up in our work and our performance. We can have rest now knowing that we don't have to earn salvation, we don't have to earn righteousness, that it can be just given to us by the righteous king who has the power to do so. We can have rest now because we no longer have to say, I have to be better than this person or be better than that person. I have to no longer earn my father's love and approval. I have to no longer to earn my boss's approval. I have no longer to make a certain amount of money or look a certain way. I can just be me. I can be known. I can be loved. And I can have purpose. I can rest in that. We can have rest now. But that's just a glimpse and a picture of true rest we'll have one day. Rest that comes from a full confidence of knowing that you're fully known and fully loved. Guys, can I just say this? As much as we profess our belief, I feel more like a centurion that says, God, I believe, Help, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Because I do believe, but there are times where I honestly don't believe, so I try to put my hope in savings accounts and esteem. But one day I will know fully and my unbelief will go away. And I'll have full, full rest. Till that day, God has given us the gift of Sabbath. The gift that says right now, God, I focus on you. I acknowledge your goodness that I have rest now. Not fully, but beautifully now. And one day I will have full rest. This practice allows you to To look upon the goodness of God and then to look forward to a time of true eternal rest. That doesn't mean lack of work, but instead fully fulfilling work that succeeds. It's a promise of a new day and a new heavens and a new earth where all is wrong is made right. and All that is broken is made new. My people, my heart yearns for that. Until that day, our Sabbath together encourages me to fight the good fight of justice with you. To live out the life of love that the Lord of Sabbath taught us to live is for Sabbath, is for the good, and for life. So, my people, may we continue to gather in holy assembly. May we continue to choose to rest in the beautiful saving grace of Jesus. In His work alone, do we have righteousness, and we have a promise of a full, full rest. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for rest. God, we're not just taking a nap, not a siesta. But God, rest that comes from the confidence knowing that God, you're in charge and you take the stress and the pressure of being everything away from us. That we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn righteousness. That we don't have to be good enough. But God, your love is great enough. And you've called us to it. So God, as we practice rest in You, may we be reminded of true rest that will come one day. Until that day comes, may we give our lives to Your cause. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
2: As Pastor Lawrence was was preaching, is uh, talking about the the church and this. Our relationship to the church, my, my five-year-old leans in and whispers and says, I love everybody here because they're a part of the church and they're a part of God's family. And so I love them, even if I don't know them. So just relaying that message to you that my five-year-old loves you all. Um, but even more, I just love the, the, the innocence, this childlike innocence and, and the childlike nature that for which she, she comes in. It's, it's true for each one of us. When we come to the Lord's table, when we consider being a part of God's family, you are a part of God's family, that we get to dine at his table. He invites us into it. How? Not, not because of what we have done. I mean, when, when my family gathers to eat dinner at the end of the day, my kids come to the table and they enter into the work that I've done. <laughs> or that we've done, that their parents have done for them, not, not because they've earned it. I mean, they didn't contribute to the meal in any, any meaningful way. <laughs> right? But they come into it <laughs> always asking for more <laughs> without apology. And, and I think that we can have this same childlike posture toward God, that when we come to his table We don't come because of what we've done. We come because of the the work that he has done for us. We get to enter into his rest. He invites us to feast with him, to share in his joy, his rest with him. Saying, you are accepted. You are welcomed through Christ. And you can even ask for more because he gives so freely, so abundantly. So lavishly, this is, this is our King, her Father, our God. Now we believe that this is, this is meant to be a family meal. That's for those who desire to follow Jesus. And so when we come to the table, we take and eat of the, the, the bread and, and drink of the cup. That we believe that our participation in this is an act of, of worship, It's a a way of remembering, of confessing that Christ crucified, Christ is risen, that we believe this and that he's coming again. And in the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. This bread represents his body broken for the forgiveness of our sins. And in the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we were to bear fruit, that this is the cup of the new covenant of Christ's blood and in Christ's blood, there is freedom. Now, at this time, we're gonna invite our servers to come forward. Um, For for those new to Waypoint, we, we practice communion by calling people to come forward to receive the elements. We participate by receiving what God has done for us. Now, for health reasons or for any other you're unable to do so, uh, we also have stations set up around the room, as well as uh, designated gluten-free options both in, in the, around the room at those stations and up, up front here is what we're serving. Our, our servers will be standing in the front. Uh, two servers will be stationed in front of each section, uh, and you're, you're invited to come forward to, to um, each of the servers in front of your, your given section. Waypoint Church, you have been invited to the king's table. And it just so happens that the king is your father. And so this time we invite you, we welcome you. Come forward and receive this meal. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you so humbled, God, that you welcome us in. God, that you have made us your children, your sons and daughters. God, teach us what it means to to enter into your rest. God, until the day that we experience that fully, God, give us hearts that, that are increasingly longing for it longing for all the things that you are doing to come true. God, would you bring about it in this day in us, starting now. And God, may we continue to welcome others in. God, you have a big family. God, we pray that it would increase. God, fill us up, Lord, with your, give us, put, put your praise on our lips that we might sing, God. We might sing your praises. That we lift your name